and turn to the book of Malachi. A lot of times the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter, are not listed in the order in which they're written, right? The Old Testament is grouped by subjects, and really the New Testament is as well. But in the case of Malachi, it happens to be the last book of the Old Testament and the last book of the written uh, of the Old Testament. And so just want us to, I want to like us to look at two verses. I'll read two verses, and then we'll pray that we'll get into the message for tonight. And li- likely this will be the last message um, in our subject of Christ in the Old Testament. And so um, pray that the Lord will direct. I, haven't, I don't really know where we're going after this. Um, I read about these pastors that have five-year plans, and I, I just don't know how anybody can be that disgusting. But no, anyway. Um, but anyway, um, anyway, I'm glad if I know what I'm doing next Sunday. But, but anyway, Malachi chapter 1. Nothing wrong with a plan. But somebody said also, if you want to make the Lord laugh, make plans. But anyway, chapter 1 of Malachi, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. All right? Then chapter 3, verse 1, and then we'll pray. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, of course, obviously, verse, two, or verse 1 there, chapter 3, talking about two messengers. The first one, John the Baptist. The second one, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God this night. And one of the truly amazing and great things of the scripture are the accurate, detailed prophecies, 100% true. We're thankful for that. And we pray thy blessing tonight as we consider just a couple things that Malachi prophesied uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, bless our time in the word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, was written about 400 years before the birth of Christ our Savior. So there, after Malachi followed what is known as the intertestament times, but more, more appropriately called 400 years of darkness, all right? And 400 years where God did not speak from heaven. There was no new revelation and certainly it became dark spiritually and so um, when the Lord Jesus Christ came we're going to see a verse a couple verses about him that he brought light into um, a dark world and I've been really interested as we've been going through especially these minor prophets every one of their names and again it doesn't say who named them it doesn't say who named Malachi but Malachi means messenger of Yahweh or messenger of Jehovah. And he talks about messages and messengers. Um, he himself, Malachi, was the Lord's messenger for his day. And notice I love the way it's verse 1, simple verse, straightforward verse. But notice again it says the burden, or that is the message or the prophecy and the word burden in the, in the Old Testament especially always has a connotation of a message of judgment. And like all the other prophets, major or minor, the message of Malachi, the message of the Lord to Malachi, through Malachi, was one of both judgment and promise. And there's a lot of just really 
vital and, and great things. Again, it's interesting, the Lord, we talked about inspiration, the word, the word of God, we talked about that this morning. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for all those things. And then it's interesting, the different styles that the different writers of scripture had. Malachi had a far different style, and the Lord used that. The Lord used his particular style. Uh, Malachi, it's only got four chapters, and you might read through it in just a few minutes, but if you do that, you'll notice many questions. Questions that Israel asked the Lord, or God asked them and they asked him back. For example, chapter 3, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, even the whole house of Israel. And they say, we're in. So throughout the book of Malachi, God asks a bunch of questions or makes some statements, and they, would, they respond with, we're in. You know, in other words, how have we robbed thee? Well, God said, tithes and offerings, and, and so on, and so on, all throughout the book. Um, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, let's take a look. Look at that one. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, God says, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, wherein? How have we despised thy name? The answer, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the temple of the Lord is contemptible. In other words, their attitude in offering, and it talks about offering the blind and lame. Instead of offering the best, they offered the worst unto the Lord. And I love the Lord says, give it to the governor. See how he likes it, all right, basically. So Malachi was a messenger of the Lord, and he prophesied of two other messengers mentioned already, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. They, these were both messengers, and so Malachi chapter 3 in verse number one, we look at the first messenger, right? Behold, I will send my messenger. Now, the Lord's saying this. And he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek. So suddenly come to his temple and so on. Um, and so in the book of Malachi, um, it's almost like the Lord is, is dealing with them. In, in, a, in almost in a sarcastic way, because they pretended to seek the Lord, but they were involved in idolatry. Um, there was a huge. They were putting away their wives. They were doing all kinds of things against the Word of God, and yet they claimed to seek Him. And so the Lord is saying to them here, He will come. The one you're seeking is going to come suddenly, and it won't be pretty. All right, for those who have turned against Him. But so this is a prophecy obviously, of the ministry of John the Baptist. So let's just look at a couple New Testament passages about John the Baptist. He was a great man of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ commented on the ministry of John the Baptist by saying, uh, among those born of women, a greater prophet than John the Baptist has never arisen, has not arisen, a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And so Jesus Christ put him right at the top. But then he said, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, because he's talking about a new dispensation. But in Matthew 3, some things about the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, He was sent. Notice, again, the prophecy there in Malachi, send my messenger before my face. And so really that's the Lord Jesus talking. 
Malachi was the messenger of Jehovah. He was the messenger of the Lord. And John the Baptist was the messenger of the Savior. And so really it's the same thing. So in those days, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 3.1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so preaching to Israel, saying to them, The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that you've been looking for, you've read about, and I'm, in fact, in, in those days, probably there were not very many who were looking for it, but they were stirred for a time. Israel was really stirred by the preaching of John the Baptist. And then, of course, a greater than John the Baptist came along, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But he was a preacher of repentance. And, of course, it's, and it talks about, uh, this is he, verse 3, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. All right, so a very unique individual, this John. And then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So this was John's ministry, to prepare the way of the Lord. By the way, his title was John the Baptist. So we, it's the word translated Baptist or baptism, baptizo. So John the Immerser, right? And so he came and he preached and he baptized. Why did he baptize in Jordan? Because you need a lot of water to immerse people. I've, some of the craziest things I've ever seen in so-called Bible story books. I remember looking at one as a little child. Here's John the Baptist with like a little clamshell in the Jordan River pouring water on Jesus. I mean, how, how crazy is that? And some even say he sprinkled, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, anyway, but he was called John the Immerser. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean anything else. And so his, his ministry was preparing people um, for the Lord. All right. Now, let's go to John chapter 1. A lot more we could say. The rest of Matthew chapter 3, tremendous chapter, more about John's ministry as he, as he preached to the rulers and so on. And then Jesus came to be baptized by him there in, at the end of chapter 3. Well, then let's go to John 1. John 1. I want, and I want you I notice something that John the Baptist said about himself. And we can certainly we can learn a lesson from that. Um, John chapter number one. You know, we have been, we have, I've mentioned the last two Sunday mornings about the Tower of Babel and about Nimrod and about that whole civilization and their attempts to build this tower to heaven. But the thing that always strikes me about that is what they said. Let us make us a name. Let us make us a name for ourselves. And so, they were all about promoting themselves. And that's easy to do that. Our nature is to do that. And that's why I love the testimony of John the Baptist. Because John came on the scene. And he's preaching. And I mean he's stirring things up. And people are responding. And people are getting baptized. And it's almost like there's a revival breaking out. And so the naturally the question was, 
is this the Messiah? All right? And he, they ask him that. All right? Verse 19 of John 1. <clears throat> and this is the record or testimony of John. This is what John said. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay? And you say, well, obviously he wasn't. Well, it goes on. And they asked him, what then art thou Elias? In other words, are you Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Now, let's go find, we're going to see something interesting about that. Um, and he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he said, no. Now, that prophet is the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord will raise up a prophet. And of course, that's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? And guess who do you think sent them? Pharisees, rulers. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. Of course they were. But it's wonderful to see John's confession here. Well, who are you? If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not that prophet, well, then who are you? You've got to be somebody. So in other words, they were, they were expecting him to claim something some pedigree, some credential. But he said, you know what? I'm just the voice. What, what, what better thing could anybody be, what better thing could we be as believers than a voice? A voice for Christ. You know, his ministry is such a model, such an example to others and to us. In fact, um, I'd like us to go to one more here uh, in John. Well, let's hold on just a second. Let's stay in John 1 for just a minute. I want to finish up this one thought, and then we'll connect. Verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me... Cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And then he talks in other places about um, that he was not worthy. Verse 27, whose shoe latch I am not worthy to unloose. All right, so John had a pretty good picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's, and again, what better message for us? What better to give our life to than pointing to others, not to ourselves, but to the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And again, go back, read Genesis 22, where Isaac says to Abraham, where's the Lamb? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide himself a Lamb. Well, and John says, this is that Lamb. This is the Lamb of God. That's a tremendous study 
from the word of God. Then he says this in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, do you know, humanly, who was born first? Jesus or John? John, right. John was born six months before Jesus, and yet John said, he was before me. So, he, so he's also confessing his preexistence, the preexistence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then one other in John chapter 3. <clears throat> John chapter 3. Again, the leaders, some of the uh, John's disciples and the Jews got into a discussion about purifying and so on. Verse 26, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, what do you suppose they were doing that for? It seems pretty obvious, right? Stir up. A controversy, stir up a conflict between, hey, Jesus is, they're all going to him. You're losing your influence. Basically what they're saying, really, in reality. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I, that I am sent before him. Love this, love this. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Thus this my joy therefore is fulfilled. So he was was thrilled. I use that verse. I'll say a name my wife will know. A friend of ours from Bible college, Randy. And I'm just going to say Randy had an up and down life. Right? Anyway. But Randy got a wife. And we got invited how do, how do we end up being at his wedding? <laughs> We're in Canada for something, right? We get, and I talked to him afterwards. I said, and I quoted this verse. Maybe we didn't go to the wedding. But I saw him after, whatever, shortly after he's married. So I quoted this verse. I said, Randy, I'm just so thrilled, so happy for you that you got married and you found a good wife. And, and they're still, last I knew, they were still serving the Lord. I assume they're both still living, um, serving the Lord in the, in the, around Winnipeg, Manitoba. And they've been faithful for many years serving the Lord. But I, so I understand what John was saying to that extent. Because his friend, Jesus, the, he's, the, he's a friend of the bridegroom. He's not the bridegroom, but he can rejoice in the bridegroom's success, prosperity. All right, but then this. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John said that's just the way, that's it. That's God's plan. He must you know, and I understand what he's saying. If, if people came to John and him only, there, there'd be a sad lack. You know, John's ministry was to point people to Christ. And please, don't, bear with me, but, you know, I've shared this with you people before. My, the, the burden of my heart is the people of Meshachan who think that somehow, like, I can meet their needs or or I can you know they're looking to me and I'm trying to don't do that look to the Lord but has it sunk in with too many people you know somebody's in the hospital they want me to go which is fine somebody's in jail they want me to go somebody dies they want me to do the funeral and I think that's okay but what please what, call me before they die <laughs> so we can have ministry now but you know what I mean and and so and we've talked about this 
And I know a lot of other pastors. I've talked to them too. They're like the good luck charm of the community. Well, that's not what we are. That's not what we want to be. We want to help people, but not to look to us, to look to the Lord. And that's John. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And pretty soon, John's off the scene. You know, killed by Herod, by Herod's men. But again, Jesus Christ said there's never been a greater prophet. So length of days doesn't necessarily mean anything. John had one of the shortest ministries on record, but one of the greatest, all right? He did what God called him to do. All right, now, we'll keep, let's go back to Malachi for a second. Just want to remind us of a verse there. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, uh, there's a prophecy about the ministry of the Son of Righteousness. I'm serious, and I wish I keep I keep thinking about what I just said about the people of this community, and I, please I wish you'd pray. I know that some of you tell me you pray for me, and, and I hope you do. I know you do, but pray along that line, would you please, that people in this town would see that it's not me they need, it's Christ, because someday we're going to be off the scene, but you know the need is still going to be there. They're still going to need the Lord Jesus, and so um, and pray that he'll help that he'll help me to to be wise about that and and deal with them in, in such a way. All right. So chapter 4, verse 2, But unto you that fear my name. Ah, there's a difference. The Lord you seek shall suddenly come. That's a message of judgment and warning. But here, unto you that fear my name. And there were a few, there was a remnant. And they spoke often to one another, Malachi wrote. Anyway, um, to you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stalls. So in other words, it's gonna, the Lord's going to help them and nourish them. But notice it's, looking, it's comparing the coming of the Lord Jesus. And obviously this is referring to his first coming as well as his second coming. But when he came, the, the, the Malachi compares it to sunrise. A sunrise in the morning. Turning the darkness to light. In fact, there's several times in the Old Testament Psalms, Proverbs both, that compare righteousness to light and sun. He shall bring forth thy judgment as the light and thy, thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Talking to people who trust in the Lord with all of their heart. In their Proverbs chapter number 3. So the son of righteousness. Let's take a look at um, three passages in the New Testament regarding him regarding the son of righteousness one of those is hebrews chapter one we'll take a look there some things about our precious lord jesus christ again there's a lot of as we've been talking about and have for years there's always this big debate um, i happened to catch a little bit it was kind of interesting um sister emma had given me a dvd um about the rapture and so on looking at it from a tr truly unique perspective. Nothing new is in the Bible, but comparing the coming of the Lord to a wedding in Galilee. And it's really interesting. Jesus himself used that, right? The ten virgins of going to meet the bridegroom. Anyway, um, right after that, I was just turning things off, and I happened to come across this program, um, and it had to do with Christianity. And I thought, oh, and I thought well, I hate, to do, I, hate, I hate to do this, but I'm going to... And they were saying all these, oh, these terrible things, you know. 
about Jesus and how they worshipped him and took him way beyond what he ever intended. He was just a carpenter's son. And I'm thinking, oh, no, please. But anyway, what a contrast. Um, So, uh, in Hebrews, I said all that to say, um, the scriptures are very clear about who Jesus was and is, right? But one of the greatest passages is is Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God who at sundry times and divers manners, that means at various times and in different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And we're, we're looking at Malachi a little bit tonight, how God spoke to him and through him. Here's what God has done. Hath in these last days. Right? So when somebody makes the statement, it's we're in the last days, yes we are. We've been there since Jesus came to earth. And so there's different aspects of that. He's spoken to us, unto us, by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. All right? Jesus came to declare God, declare his word. All right? Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being, this is Jesus now, who being, and that word being, there's no time frame there. He just always has been. The brightness of his glory. That is, Jesus, the brightness of God's glory. So not like a mirror that reflects light, or like the moon that that merely reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is the sun. He is the one who radiates the glory of God, and it's his glory. So he's the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. That means that he is identical in image, and in nature, and in essence. And that, that express image is a word that was used um, in different ways, but one of those was the minting of coins. Now, I suppose that you, took, you look at 100 quarters that were minted in the same day. They might be, you might see something different. I don't know. They might not be exactly identical. But this is saying that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God, of his person, God's person. That is his essence. His nature. So man was made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. See the difference? He's fully God. And then it says, upholding all things by the word of his power. Now that, that's just a quick statement. Jesus upholds all things. In other words, this whole universe is upheld, held together. By the word of his power. And one of these days he's going to unleash that power and cause everything to melt and so on. 2 Peter 3. When he had by himself purged our sins. All by himself. Wonderful. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because his redemptive work was done. Again, Hebrews more than once in this book makes a contrast between the earthly, the Jewish priests who stand daily and Jesus who after he died and rose again, went back to heaven and sat down because his redemption is perfect, eternal, and everlasting. All right? 
wonderful. Being, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So that by being re, re, returned to heaven, restored to his place at the right hand of God. Now the Bible says in chapter 2 that when Jesus came to earth, he was made for a time lower than the angels in his humanity. All right, that's a, wow, that's a, that's a mystery and a half right there. But it, it happened. But then after he rose to the grave, he ascended. He was exalted. All right. All right. Now a couple, one in Matthew and one in John. All right. Matthew chapter 4. And I see we're going to have to have one more message out of this. All right. Matthew chapter number 4. And a couple of verses here. Now talking about him as the son of righteousness. And Hebrews expressed that by the, 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 uh, the glory, the brightness of his glory, the effulgence, the radiation, or radiating rather of God's glory. And then Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 13. Right after the temptation, there in the wilderness, verse 13, he's there, uh, and leaving Nazareth, it says, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtali. Remember that? When we were in the book of Nahum, remember that he's remembered that, that they changed the name of a town to Capernaum, the village of Nahum. Because of the remember in in honor of Nahum's ministry there. Verse fourteen that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, "The land of Zebulon, Zabulon, and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. Not just not just." light but great light so it was like noontime in the middle of the night like when the shepherds were in the field by night and the glory of the angel of the Lord and the, and the glory of God appeared well that's the kind of light that Jesus brought into this dark world they, they, the people which sat, sat in darkness saw great light and that idea you know doesn't that, that paints such a sad picture the people that sat in darkness. They're sitting there. Darkness. And them to them, which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So Isaiah prophesied that. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Alright? Jesus came to bring light. I think it's, it's obviously it's very significant that after Matthew there quotes Isaiah's prophecy about the light, the next thing he says is from that time Jesus began to preach. Right? Psalm 119 verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And so most of the people in the Old Testament day, they had that marvelous treasure of God's word, never, never understood, never got to realize what a treasure they had and the light that could come 
And just like today, how sad, how tragic that people just don't, they just don't see the light of God's word and, and the privilege of it. They're too concerned. Like these professors I saw today from Duke and Harvard and Yale and all these semina, semi, what are they are? Cemeteries? No, seminaries. Uh, debating over, you know, how much of the Bible's true and so sad. They miss the whole thing. Oh, my. And, of course, what the, where they end up is even worse. So he began to preach, and then he calls his first disciples, and his earthly ministry begins. All right, one more passage we're going to quit for tonight, and that's John 8. The Son of Righteousness. We didn't get to the part of healing yet. We'll, do, we'll start there next time, a week, uh, two weeks from today. Um, John 8. You know, it's interesting. It's a challenge. It's always been a challenge. We, it's funny. I mean, I know funny is the word. As I love to read men of the old days, I like Spurgeon might be as one of my favorite to read from the 1800s and go on back before that, Matthew Henry in the 1600s. But the point is this. Everybody believed they were living in the worst times. It's just, you know, isn't that right? You read about these, oh, it's so dark, it's so dark, it's so dark. I thought, man, what if they were around today? What would they think? We think we're living in the worst times. But there's, it's a challenge today because, you know, we have to maintain the right perspective and the right attitude um, because we can be so, so, so anti-everything and we can be screaming and hollering about all the wickedness out there and there is a time for that. We need to do that. But somehow we have to have the Lord's balance where Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, hated sin but loved the sinner. And it didn't matter what kind of sinner it was. If they sought mercy if they sought forgiveness he gave it to them and John chapter 8 Jesus Christ had a personal meeting with one of the most despised despicable characters of his day an adulteress she was a promiscuous woman in fact let's read it really want i picked this because in the passage jesus says i am the light of the world he just demonstrated that and so there's a there's a balance there's a there's a always a, there's a tendency in one hand to just go too far in condemning everything and then there's the extreme on the other side where everything is good and everything is fine and there's not the only sin is to call something sin. You know people like that. If you, if you're on, if you get on Facebook, and, and I wouldn't advise you to spend too much time on there, but you hear all these things that people say. And I saw one. Uh, Dr. Griffith, always, he, he, gives, he puts a lot of great scriptures and, and messages on there, and he got a response from one. But anyway, we'll, we'll hold, hold that till we get through the passage here. But based on this account, notice this. Jesus went, verse 1, chapter 8, into the Mount of Olives, right outside Jerusalem. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, Jerusalem. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them, because that was how it was done in those days. The teacher sat down. And, early, um, and the scribes and Pharisees, you know this account, 
the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. In other words, she was caught with another man. And when they had set her in the midst, boy, they put her right there, boy, right on the hot seat. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. I mean, how, you can't get much more explicit than that, right? We caught her. Now, Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said because they were so concerned about knowing the truth and how to balance things. No, is that what? No, 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 obviously not. Just like so many people today. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Again, here we go again. I said earlier how people miss out on the word of God. Well, what an opportunity these scoundrels missed out on. The very son of God in their midst. They could have learned anything from the word of God for him. But no, they were only there concerned. It was finding something wrong. Finding fault. Well, but Jesus, so they just want to find something wrong. Bruce was talking about that a little bit in science school class today. There's, you know, they always tried to find a conflict between Moses and Jesus. And guess how many conflicts there are between Moses and Jesus? None. None. And so, but Jesus, you got to love it. You got to love it. I wish I could do this sometimes. Not, not exactly this, but just be quiet. <laughs> then resist the temptation to just spout out. But, but Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself, as he wrote, he raised up, and he said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And you know, they were right partly. That really, yes, the penalty for adultery was stoning. But according to the law, who was supposed to be stoned? Both. The man and the woman. Well, what about the guy? See, this is a big, this is a setup and a half. Or tempted. And so he just said, here's what he said. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Yes, she deserves to be stoned. Sinless ones, come on, sinless ones, you do it. If you're anybody who's without sin, you, you throw the first stone, okay? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Apparently, he wasn't concerned that they were going to throw him at him or her or anything. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst, convicted by their conscience, that's, inter that's interesting. That's how God intended our conscience to work. But the Bible says the conscience can be seared and not function right. So, verse 10 says, When Jesus had, Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman. And that's not, that's not derogatory. That's not mean. That'd be simply like us saying, Ma'am. Madam, or when he would say man, it's like we would say sir. So it's, it's a term of respect, a typical greeting. 
Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Her confession. Lord. Master. The the Pharisees, the unbelieving Jews, never called him anything but rabbi or master. They never said Lord. That's very significant that she did. Now, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Now that's one of the favorite, two favorite verses of the skeptics, of the mockers, of the Bible, and of Christians, and of churches, and the whole thing. Two of their favorite verses are this. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Whenever you dare to say anything is sin. I've had people respond that way. And the second one, neither do I condemn thee. Now this lady, this woman, I shouldn't say lady, woman, there's a difference. Um, she commented to Dr. Griffith's post about this woman taking adultery. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. He quoted the whole verse, go and sin no more. And she said, there's a good verse, neither do I condemn thee. That's a good verse for legalizing prostitution. Jesus didn't condemn her. Why should we? Well, Dr. Griffith, of course, responded. And he said, read the rest of the verse. Go and sin no more. That's the balance. That's the perspective. Jesus showed mercy. Christ showed compassion, but he said, I don't condemn thee. You're you're forgiven. In other words, don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Right? Wonderful. Wonderful biblical perspective. Very similar to the woman at the well. Five husbands, and she was with the guy that wasn't her husband. And Jesus called her out on it. He very, you know, go, go call your husband. I don't have one. Yeah, you're right. You don't have one. You've had five, and the guy you have now isn't. So we have to do that too. We, we have to bring out, we have to deal with sin. All right. But in the right way. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does that mean? What does it mean that they won't walk in darkness? He's talking about spiritual darkness and the darkness of sin. That great hymn based on that. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Of course, that's also based on the story of the blind man in John 9. I once was blind, but now I can see. Wonderful. He's the son of righteousness. He brings light. He brings life. He brings transformation to every soul that, re- that turns to him in repentance and faith. All right, we're going to stop there. We're going to, we'll, we'll get to the healing in his wings part two weeks from tonight, Lord willing. And if you're interested, I'll, we'll try to answer the question because some people believe that healing is in the atonement. That Jesus died for our physical healing as well as our spiritual. All right. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can have in praising thee and singing and then giving testimony, but then, Father, especially in the word of God tonight and how we thank thee for Malachi and all that he wrote. And we're just focusing, obviously, Lord, on things pertaining directly to Christ. And so we're thankful for these great words that we can look at tonight. Thankful for the testimony of John the Baptist. And his humility, Lord, may we have that in in the ministry of Jesus. 
and how he reached out to sinners. And without compromising, he showed compassion. And they left different than when they met him. And we're praising the Lord for that. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know what? I had 427, but let's turn to 213. We'll just sing a verse or two. Uh, 